Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. It is officially time to begin one of my favorite exercises we do here at CR, a tradition that began last season, but one we hope to carry into each and every college tennis season moving forward. That, of course, is an exercise we refer to as NCAA Press Row, where I attempt to speak with each of the remaining 16 men's and women's head coaches prior to the start of the NCAA Tournament round of 16. Now, each of these conversations you'll hear over the next few days will be relatively similar in format. I want to talk to each of these coaches about their NCAA opening weekends, what allowed them to advance to this NCAA Sweet 16. Then I want to recap the season, where things stand. I want to talk about each team's best win of the year, the match they perhaps would like to replay the most from the course of the season. We'll talk about the team MVP, the most improved players that have made the success possible for all of these teams this season. Then, of course, I got to pick the coaches' brains about some big picture topics. I want to talk about the Super Regional format going to the top eight seeds for this round of 16 versus the traditional all-sweet 16 matches are played at one location format. What do these coaches prefer? Still very early in the exercise of determining if the Super Regional is worthwhile, but always fun to hear the coaches' initial reactions. And then, of course, we'll try to preview all of these Sweet 16 matches. I will try to coax as many match calculi as I I can from each of these coaches. What is their pathway to four points? How do they project their team's success moving forward throughout the NCAA tournament? We'll talk about all of that and so much more. Again, have a jam-packed week of content prepared for all of you listeners as we get all of you ready for the 2022 college tennis season's home stretch. Of course, you're going to be able to find each of these conversations both here on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed as well as on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Of course, you will also hear the same intro outro on each of these podcasts. I do apologize for that fact. Just makes life a little bit easier, a little bit cleaner for both myself and super producer Daniel Westoff. But again, over the next five days, I will attempt to speak with each and every men's and women's head coach remaining in the 2022 Division I NCAA tournament. Of course, the reason we're able to do that here on the Cracked Interviews podcast is because of the support we get from all of you college tennis fans out there who have tuned in week in, week out. We are immensely grateful for that fact. Also, I have to give a huge shout out to our friends at Swing Vision, who, of course, are on the forefront of all artificial intelligence innovations happening within the tennis world. If you are a college tennis head coach listening to these podcasts, if you are a player, if you are someone with high-level tennis aspirations, download the Swing Vision app today. You'll have access to more data, more things to improve your tennis game than you ever had before, all within the palm of your hand in an app on your phone. So again, learn more about our friends at Swing Vision by clicking on the link in the description to this podcast. I promise all of you, it is the most efficient way to improve your game in the modern day. A huge thank you to our friends at Swing Vision. Use that promo code CRACK20 when you sign up. But again, appreciate all of their support for this show. With that said, again, press row coming up. Going to try and speak with each of the remaining 16 men's and women's head coaches before the start of the NCAA round of 16. With that in mind, let's get to this interview. Hey, crack fans. 
Before we get to today's show, I want to let all of you listeners know about the revolutionary work being done by our friends over at Swing Vision. Now, all of us as tennis players are constantly searching for that piece of information that's going to give us that one, two, three percent edge whenever we step onto the court. We want to know, am I hitting my forehand with enough depth? Am I accurately placing my backhands? Am I employing patterns on the court that are putting me in an optimum position to experience success? Thankfully, all of those questions can now be answered via the app produced by our friends at Swing Vision. Folks, it's extraordinarily simple. You're going to download the app. You're going to turn that app on your phone. You're going to put your phone on the back fence, the back curtain of whatever court you're playing on. You're going to hit record. And then using artificial intelligence, Swing Vision is going to break down your performance. If you click on the link that you find in the podcast description here on today's episode, you'll go right to the Swing Vision website. And of of course, friends who use our Cracked Rackets promo code CRACK20 are going to get an additional $20 discount and a free 14-day pro trial on the Swing Vision app. Again, you use that promo code CRACK20, $20 discount, as well as a free 14-day pro trial. How do you find the link? To get signed up, just go back to your podcast feed. It's in the podcast description of this episode. You go to the Swing Vision website, you set up your account, you download the app, you get rocking and rolling, get all the information one location with our friends at Swing Vision. Joining us on the podcast once again today is a returning champion here to our Crack Racket shows, a man you know best as the head coach of the Wake Forest men's tennis team. Welcome back to the show, head coach Tony Bresky. Coach, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, buddy. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Oh, it is always my pleasure. And yeah, I imagine it's easy to be doing well after another sweet 16 in the books. And let's start today's interview there. Of course, you look at what you all were able to accomplish last weekend. 4-0 win over Radford, 4-1 win over Auburn. Was the biggest obstacle for you all the weather last weekend? Because it felt like a good weekend for the Demon Deacons. It was a good weekend. Yeah, it was uh, both days were a little... Is it indoors? Is it, is it outdoors? Is it indoors? Is it outdoors kind of deal? Um, and I think we handled that well. We've been playing a lot of outdoors. So getting adjusted to indoor tennis again, you know, always takes a little bit. But, you know, it was obviously the same for Radford and Auburn. They had to deal with that. And, um, you know, I thought our guys did a really good job of it. Yeah, and looking at your team throughout the course of the weekend, uh, obviously this Auburn team one that is one that prides itself on its doubles. You guys managed to take the doubles point against Auburn in that round two match, and you know I think you've played over twenty different doubles combinations this season. Which, by the way, I'm pretty sure this year's Wake Forest team set the record. So congratulations to you <laughs> for whatever that's worth. But you guys take the doubles point over obviously again a very talented Auburn team. Talk to me about the progress you've seen from your guys in doubles and is this the lineup we should expect moving forward yeah i think we've made some really good progress in doubles i mean i think we've won our last uh, i don't know at least seven eight doubles points something like that um you know and have done a really good job in that aspect like you said auburn's been playing very good doubles um and we did a good job we were, were very solid at two three and you know had a chance to win at one we we're up five four love 30 there um you know, so it was it was certainly nice to get that point. You know, I know as we've discussed this, 
I don't always overly harp on the dubs because I think to be a great team, you got to got to be able to get in singles, whether you win the dubs or not. But it certainly helps the cause. Yeah, no, I think we've talked about it too much this season, but I always think about the 2019 Wake team where Petros was like, all right, it's going to be me, it's going to be Borna, and then two of you f- have to figure it out. Sorry for the language there. But, it, you know, that that was my favorite match calculus of it all. And watching him look at Melios in that national indoor semifinal, be like, hey, man, like you're going to win today, okay? One of my favorite moments of all, you know, one I'll never forget. But just to, you know, unpack that a little bit further, you played 27 different doubles teams this season, which it's a lot. No doubt about that, Coach Bresky. I'm curious, and I know you are always a fan of having a bigger roster. Is that 27 doubles teams, you know, because you're trying to get everyone repetitions throughout the course of this season? Is that you searching for different answers? I'm curious what leads to a number that big. Well, I, I think that was just my goal going into the year. I just wanted to set a record there. <laughs> Not really concerned about winning and losing, just wanted to set a record. So that was it. I so, like yeah. No, I'm kidding, obviously. Uh, no, I mean, I think it's a function of many different things, right? I think we obviously have a bigger roster. We played a ton of doubleheaders this year. I think part of having that bigger roster is the function of still, still COVID and still, look, we had, even going into this fall, I think if you look back at it, it feels like COVID is gone, but going into the fall and at the start of summer, COVID was not gone, you know? And so we were making decisions on guys and their tennis, um, you know, based on information that we didn't have. And I wasn't sure, you know, the year before they decided we weren't going to be able to play tournaments in the fall. I still thought it was 50, 50. We were going to be able to play tournaments this fall, you know, going into it. We had no idea there's, you know, another wave of COVID what they were going to do. So we still had three or four guys that ended up taking the fall off just because they wanted to play. Right. So I think part of that, so, you know, we do have a bigger roster this year. We'll, we'll go back down to more of a normal size next year, I think. Um, but when you have the bigger roster, obviously you're trying to make sure guys are getting a lot of matches. So we played a ton, ton of, ton of double headers. So guys got a lot of matches like that. I do think that actually does end up helping your doubles because I think when you practice doubles against yourselves, it gets a little stale. And, you know, in men's tennis, it really almost doesn't matter the level of the team. I mean, men's tennis players can hold serve, right? So mm-hmm. you find yourself in a lot of situations against teams that maybe you know you're going to roll in singles, but in doubles, you're at two all or three all, or man, maybe if you got down a break earlier, you're down three one or something like that, and you're having to play some real doubles, you know? So I think it's helped us, um, you know, and it's helped the development of our doubles. And I think another function of it is we've just had a lot of injuries. So we've kind of had to piece it together a little bit. Well, with that in mind, I'm curious, and you mentioned the big roster. You guys have 17 members of the roster. For those listeners that don't know, you're only allowed to submit nine players for the NCAA tournament. How difficult was it for you and Chris to figure out who your nine should be this year? Is that just a decision you pawn off to Yuval and you say, Yuval, you pick the nine? (laughs) Yeah, I'd love to. No, obviously, (laughs) it's a decision we have to make. I mean, personally, I think that's one of the dumbest rules we have you know i can't contemplate why we have to only be able to submit nine guys i mean that's something that just you know you don't see that in football or basketball or baseball or soccer right you're allowed to play your entire roster so i don't know why we would ever do that it makes no sense to me having said that it is a rule that we have to deal with and so you know it changes week to week so we might have a different nine that we submit on friday night for this weekend um you know we had our nine for this weekend again based a little bit on 
an injury situation we have and you know it might change this weekend it might not so it's 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 always a challenge and i really think it's unfair to the kids no i like that's what we call in the business a tease so that's good I'm, i'll be looking forward to seeing what uh lineup is out there this weekend well again i want to look more broadly at your team the success you guys have had this season and you know you mentioned all the doubles headers you guys played 33 and 6 overall on the year and i'm pretty sure that's as many matches as any team has played in the country let's just start here what was your team's best win of the season? Our best win, um, probably our last one because it means we get to keep playing, right? So <laughs> that's good. That's, that, that's some good coach speak for you there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I had to get that get that last one in there. I thought we played a pretty good match against Auburn there um, with one one little hiccup, but um, you know that was a good match. I don't know. I, I think we had a couple good four threes, a couple good four threes against Georgia, Michigan. I, I think actually one of the ones I'm most proud of was our match against Texas mm-hmm. at national indoors. You know, we, and this is just the way indoors goes kind of drew the short end of the stick in that because of the facility situation and timing of the whole school, you know, we played a late afternoon match on Saturday night, um, you know, lost a match and then had to come out for the morning match at 9am. So our recovery time was about 12 hours, mm-hmm. you know, and we rolled out Sunday morning and I thought we were ready and, Texas just destroyed us in doubles. I think we were down three on our court and it was like, all right, well, maybe we're not ready, but we were certainly ready in singles. And uh, we played, played some great singles. And, and obviously, so that was, that was a good win, especially, you know, it's, it's very easy. I think at indoors to the last day of the tournament, if you win and then you lose to kind of mail it in a little bit, you know, that last match and just be like, you know, you're a little frustrated. You didn't come to accomplish your goal. You maybe didn't play the best match in the second round or, you know, you lost a heartbreak or whatever. And I thought we did a good job there. Yeah, no, I mean, again, it was an excellent bounce back. And you talked about the double headers you played earlier. Obviously, big roster necessitates that. Did you like the, the, I mean, again, you played 39 matches this year. I feel like that's something you have explored previously as well. Is the, the plethora of double headers something you will continue to incorporate into your schedule? Um, I think... I think we've probably maximized it this year, you know, but (laughs) I do think some double headers are necessary. You know, I think one of the ultimate goals of our program is to develop guys that want to play pro tennis. Mm -hmm. I understand why we play no ad tennis. Um, I do think to a certain extent, it does hurt the development of the guys from a physicality standpoint. You know, I think it's just very difficult now to go play a two out of three with no ad and really break some down, break someone down physically. So you know, having a situation in which, you know, we have guys that do want to play pro tennis and trying to work on their physicality. The best way to do it is actually match play. And we're like, right, you know, today, instead of playing, you know, two and a half hours, you're going to get to go play four and a half hours, which, you know, in Grand Slam tennis, that's just a normal match, right? So I think there is some merit to that. Um, so I, I do think it's something we'll continue to use moving forward. Yeah, I, I'm sure there was – I mean, again, you talk about the trainers making sure, you know, all the players are well hydrated. They're eating their snacks. I'm sure a trainer come up to you at one point and said, Coach, like, are you hydrating? Because, you know, we've got another match after this. And you're like, yeah, 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 I'm fine. Like, don't worry about me. But <laughs> They don't pay much attention to me, but <laughs> <laughs> Okay, good. Well, that's, that they, they, the, they know I'll be good to go. Yeah, no, I'm glad to hear that. Well, then, again, looking back at your record, and I'm trying to ask all of these coaches a set list of questions to help prepare everyone for this weekend's NCAA tournament. How about this? The match you'd like to play again from this season? 
oh, that's easy. Un- undoubtedly, the Georgia Tech match had a yeah. season. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, we had obviously, yeah, you can make all the excuses in the world, and we had we had our share, and we certainly used them. Um, yeah. And it was not a great match from our standpoint. They they obviously have a good team, I think, much much better than their ranking, mm-hmm. and they played a very good match that day. And uh, it certainly wasn't our best. And that would be the one I'd want back. Yeah, I mean that's fair. And again, you look at that match and looking at the lineup, you guys were without uh, obviously one of the superstars of your season, a guy who you could argue was one of the breakout players in Filippo Moroni. Uh, you mentioned a health situation. I think I have to ask the question: Is he the guy we're looking to see potentially come back here this weekend? Yeah, obviously um, he's been getting very, very close, and it's certainly possible. I think you know you get in the scenario with him where. Uh, he might be cleared, he might not, and even if he is, you know, where is his tennis at after, you know, being out for as long as he has been? That's always a tough one, but it's, I'd rather have the option than not have the option. I'll put it to you that way. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally get that. And, you know, again, speaking of options, you had six different players play the number one single spot this year. And, you know, looking at your lineup from afar, it does feel like, you know, we could sort of set up a dartboard with all of the names and say, this is the number one single start. And you throw it and you say, okay, you know, Melios is at one today. And then you throw it again. And you say, all right, Nava's at two today. Is that a burden or a blessing for you as a coach? <laughs> Probably a bit of both. Probably. <laughs> sure. Um, you know, obviously tennis players, especially the egos. So, you know, you're always managing that aspect of it. I think we're pretty lucky. Mm-hmm. Not always about them right now. It's a little bit more about the team. So sometimes having some matchup options and some different options are a good thing to have. Um, but it is tough. And I, you know, I've said this about our team and you look at lineups and stuff and there's times where we've had guys who maybe weren't playing in the lineup that could arguably be our second or third best player. You know, I think we're that deep and have that much parity in our lineups. So it's a, it is a challenge to kind of try to figure out who's at and what's best for the team. Mm-hmm. How do you prevent, I mean, again, I know we're deep diving here. How do you prevent that competition from spilling over and overwhelming people at practice? As in, you know, everyone, because I imagine in some of those practices, everyone feels like their spot is on the line when the competition and the margins between everyone is that thin. You know, how was balancing those two things with making everyone competitive throughout the course of the year while also saying, hey, like, again, look, we're going to try and get playing opportunities for everyone. Yeah, to, to a certain extent, I think we don't base a ton of our lineup decisions on practice results. You know, it might be more on practice habits and, you know, how a guy is playing, um, you know, but we're not like big in, okay, yeah, you go play this guy two out of three and the winner's going to play per se, um, you know, so it's, I think you try to take that aspect out of it. But it, like I said, it is a challenge because practice is often different than competition and, you know, you also don't know what kids have going on on a daily basis. You try as much as you can, but sometimes, you know, a kid had a busier school day or he had a argument with his girlfriend and he's going to have a bad practice. And does that mean that guy who's won five matches in a row isn't going to play on the weekend because he had a bad practice? So, you know, those are constantly decisions that you got to make as a coach. 
Yeah. Well, you talk about win streaks, and again, I want to ask each coach here a set list of questions to help prepare everyone for the NCAA tournament. Jakob Schneider has won 17 consecutive singles matches. He's 22-2 and two overall on the season. He may be the first player in college tennis history to earn a victory at each singles position throughout the course of the year, which again, another record I assume you set out this year trying to set. Um, but of course, Sid Banthia did that this season as well. Uh, you know, again, if I was to ask you, who was your team MVP this season? I imagine Jakob's in the conversation, but I'm curious how you'd answer that question. Yeah, I, I mean, he'd certainly be, be up there, right? I mean, he's an uh, incredibly consistent performer, not only on match day, but on practice days. I mean, he just brings it all the time, and he's up the level of our team with his intensity and focus. Um, you know, he's had a... He's had a great year, as did, you know, as did Filippo before his injury. So that was kind of unfortunate. But, um, you know, certainly I'd say he's kind of been the heart and soul of our team in many ways. And, you know, we're going to need him to continue that if we want to keep playing tennis. Yeah, I mean, he's been excellent. And again, across the lineup, you mentioned, regardless of where he's playing, it seems like he's going to be able to find a victory. Um, How about on the flip side, who would you say is the most improved player for Wake this season? Yeah, probably Filippo. Okay. Right. I think it's, again, it's so hard to say just from a, these last two years still have been so weird. Like you look at Filippo's situation the year before, I, he might've been better than he was, you know, he came in, he had to do COVID restrictions for 14 days when he came in in January, then he played a little bit, then he got hurt. Then he played a little bit again, got hurt. You know, and you're just like, okay, well, that was four months of not getting to do anything on campus and, you know, having to wear a mask at practice at times. And I mean, just it's just weird, right? So, okay, so he came back, came back for the fall and um, obviously had a great run at All-American and, and was having a good year. So I, I'd say him, but again, it's just, you know, I finally feel like we're kind of getting back to normal with all the COVID stuff now, you know, so I'm very looking, very much looking forward to moving on with, kind of the training and development of the guys and seeing what they can do. So did you still feel like you had a hand tied behind your back this season with all the regulations? I think more so going into the year. Okay. Right. Like again, when we're making decisions on guys at the end of the year and end of May, like, Hey, what's your summer tourney schedule going to be? Where can I see you? Where are you going to train? And the answer to a lot of those questions was like, I have no idea. Right. Cause even if you look at like the future schedule in the fall, if you looked at it at the end of May in, in the U S and North America, there was like nothing. Mm-hmm. Right. And some tourneys popped up late. So it was like, okay, I talked to a guy like one of our, you know, one of our returning guys, like a guy like Juan Lopez, who's from Madrid. And it's like, Hey, what tournaments are you going to play over summer? He's like, I, I don't know. There's none available in Spain right now. And that's at the end of May. So it's like that kind of, I think, hampers their development as far as not being able to make any of any kind of a plan which i think we will be able to do this year uh, moving forward and feeling pretty confident we're going to have a good fall next year and you know we're already assured we're having our atp event and we've had it a we've added a 25k uh ptt attorney and trying to add a futures and stuff like that and know that we're going to be able to play a full fall schedule i think that really helps in their uh, planning and motivation as well. Yeah. Did Noah call you right away? I heard that PTT reference. Did he call you and say, coach, we're hosting an event at Wake Forest. And you're like, done, lock it in. 
<laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, yeah, I mean, Noah's been doing a variety of different things and he's getting involved in that stuff. And obviously I want to support him and, um, you know, any kind of endeavors that he has moving forward. Yeah, of course. And you mentioned again, the pro events here in the States and you guys over in Winston-Salem and obviously have the ATP event, but you know, over the past couple of summers in particular, prior to COVID, you had what the two consecutive 25 Ks, I believe it was, or you were hosting, you know, just a bunch of summer ITF events or pro playing opportunities for, uh, college players, people in the States. I, it, it sounds like that's something you're looking to get back to this summer. Absolutely. Yeah. We were at a point where we were running a couple of futures and we we're actually looking at a challenger in addition to our ATP event. And then obviously COVID happened and, you know, ATP was canceled for a year. The futures were canceled, you know, any kind of planning stuff was canceled. It was just going to be impossible to get people on campus for a tennis tournament with where we were with COVID stuff. So, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back to some of that stuff as we move forward. Yeah, and I think all of us are looking forward to those playing opportunities. Um, by the way, I meant to ask this when we were talking about Filippo. The Michigan match, obviously I remember that one too well, uh, but Texas, Georgia, Miami, did it ever get to a point where you'd be like, you know what, I'll go check on his court in three hours because like, I know it's coming down to there, so we'll worry about number four singles later. <laughs> yeah, he's he's not scared to take his time, that's for sure. <laughs> um, no, but I think Filippo has he has a real knack of knowing how to win, mm-hmm. you know, and I think he also plays his, he's learned now, especially to play his best in the pressure moments. He, you know, he, he lost a tough one to start the year against Tennessee at Tennessee, you know, four, three match last match on got a bit of a bad break at the breaker there with what I thought was a horrific overrule, not, not harped on that one at all. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that, that was kind of the case there. And I think he really learned from that situation in that moment and has been better for it. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to instigate or get anyone in trouble, but one of my favorite moments of the season was you, I think it was the Texas match at the indoors. It was either Texas or Georgia where whatever happened on court number one happened and you were not the most pleased, we'll say, at the scenario. And I swear to God, you getting fired that, that up. Texas. That was Texas. Yeah, that was Texas. You getting fired up changed the complexion of the match. Like you could see the entire team hear what you did and respond in that moment and say, we're not letting them take that away from us. Did you feel that at all? Well, maybe. I mean, it certainly <laughs> wasn't uh, the Texas player's fault. He got, yeah. you know, he got an overrule in his favor on, a- again, what I was like, again, an awful overrule. Oh, it was atrocious. I was, the, it was atrocious. Yeah. 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 And so you're just, you know, it's, it's, it's a deuce point and you're just so frustrated. You're just like, I, it, it's hard to deal with, but you know, I think we've all learned to deal with it enough that you have to deal with it and you have to just let that moment go and bounce back. And that's, I think what our guys did and they stepped up and they, you know, finished off that match strong. Mm-hmm. I know we've talked about this before, but it does feel like to me, because again, tennis is so spread out. It's across six courts in terms of mid match firing up your guys. I know obviously you can talk to them uh, during changeovers and communicate individual messages, but do you feel that at all throughout the course of the match where maybe your ener- your team's energy level has slipped? And I'm not saying you're going to chew out a line judge, but you're going to make some sort of noise, some sort of energy to try and, you know, again, get a bounce back, get some sort of response from your guys? Yeah, I mean, that's a tough one. It's so individual, right? Like, you got six matches there, and all of them are kind of swinging one way or another. And One guy's doing great, one guy's doing awful, and 
four guys are somewhere in between. So I think it's, it's a fine line. You know, I think the reality is maybe occasionally, maybe that happened the Texas match. I don't know, but it's more often than not, not going to happen. You know, I think your preparation and everything you do comes before the match as a coach. And yeah, you get out there as a coach during the match, you already have a scouting report for the most part. And at that point, it's mostly just supporting your player and, you know, maybe making some tactical adjustments, you know, during a match and giving them a tip or two, you know, here or there, but it's going to be hard to swing an entire match. Yeah. No, I, I really, because again, watching you coach, one of my favorite things, not to be weird, but especially the contrast, there's nothing I enjoy more than watching you coach versus watching, say how Ty Tucker coaches and just like the contrast in style is one of my favorite things to watch. Um, with that said, yeah, I mean, you talk about, I mean, I feel like that is the tough thing is you talk about it being so individualized in tennis is, you know, again, you have like a three minute speech between doubles and singles and even that isn't extraordinary yeah, max. value. Yeah, max, like, yeah, and that's I, I I mean, do are you trying to communicate a message there or is it literally just like let's get organized, let's go play? Yeah, not much. You know, you don't have a lot of time in that moment. So you're almost for sure always have your lineup set in what you want to do. I mean there's the rare instance where maybe you were still mulling things over. But you know, you kind of let the guys know, at least I do for the most part, that I still think the biggest part of the match is up ahead of us. And whether you won the dubs or lost the point, you know, lost the dubs that, you know, now it's time to go compete. And that's really about it. You know, it's like, Hey, go use the bathroom and let's, let's get going. Yeah. No, so. I know. I, I mean, again, it is so fast and uh, that is half the fun with that in mind. Let's turn our, uh, I want to turn my attention to the sweet 16. And I know we've discussed this before, but obviously it's super regionals here now. And you guys are traveling to Kentucky this weekend, as opposed to the one massive sweet 16 site. I know it's only year two of this super regional experiment, but I'm curious which format you prefer. I understand why we're doing it. I still think I personally prefer the, 16 teams all on one site. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's just, it's a cool experience for all the kids. You know, obviously I think if you're the one hosting the round of 16 site as a coach, you probably like that. But in perspective, I think hosting at this level is such a competitive advantage to go on the road uh, versus playing at home that I'd love to see the round of 16 played at a neutral site you know, you could obviously argue that, hey, you work all year long to gain that advantage, which is also true. But I don't know. I've always thought there was something special about the 16 teams at one site. I know it's a challenge with times of the matches. And it's like, oh, man, these teams have to play at 9 a.m. How are you going to promote that? So, you know, it makes sense. But I still think for me personally, I prefer it. Yeah, I, there used to be a big dinner, right, early on in, in the weekend of that super round, uh, when the round of 16 was together, where all the players, all the coaches are in one location, right? That feels like a special moment. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it is. I, I think it's more just, you know, as much as you, I'm also a massive tennis fan, right? So, like, the, the round of 16 and you get eight matches all in one day if you're a tennis fan and you're a diehard and it's all at one site. I mean, it's it's just amazing. You know, you're you're gonna be due for one or two grade four three matches in that situation. You know, the drama of it and the excitement of it is is awesome. And you know, we've done it both ways. We're obviously, um, you know, in 2018 we hosted and we had the 16 teams, and then in 2019 we had the eight teams with the super regional. And so we when we made finals both those years, 
And I still think for me personally, I preferred, okay, fair enough. We ended up winning the tournament. So that helps too. But I still think I enjoyed having the 16 teams all here at one site, just having everyone around and feeling like, you know, they've obviously at that point accomplished something special to get to the last site. Yeah, you liked the 2018 NCAA tournament. That's a surprise to me. That's breaking news here. I know, shocking. Yeah, shocking. I, I yeah, I, I enjoyed it a tiny bit. Yeah, it was a little bit fun. By the way, that's another thing we don't talk about enough. Tony Bresky, underrated tennis fan, big lover of the sport. I don't think you get enough credit for that. Uh, but with all of that in mind, again, as we look towards the Sweet 16, I'm curious. Biggest concern for you, not necessarily about you know, your team or any individual spot. But I'm curious, as we approach this round, you know, what are the things you're thinking about, about how you're going to get your team to advance? Yeah, well, obviously, Kentucky's a great team, and Cedric does a great job with their program. They have some really good players, and I think for us, it's more just about focusing on ourselves. You know, I, I don't think we've played our best match of the year yet to this point, you know, and I think that's exactly what we're going to need to accomplish on Saturday and just go out and play our tennis and focus on ourselves and make sure we, you know, handle things in a professional manner and, you know, really appreciate the moment and compete our best. And that's it. Doubles two, four, six. Does that sound like a reasonable match calculus? (laughs) Hey, if you say so, I'll take it. I, you know, I've been trying to ask coaches for what's your pathway to four, and usually they just say, "Well, what's your pathway, Alex?" And so, yeah, yeah that's, I'll just I'll throw that one out there for you. That's what I see uh, on the board for for whatever it's worth. But um, again, with all of that in mind, obviously, Sweet Sixteen coming up. I would be remiss if I didn't sneak in some past Wake Forest, past Tony Bruschi questions. You mentioned that 2019 team. Did they just run out of steam? in the finals. Like it did feel like the Virginia oh, match. And then, you know, hundred percent. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. I think, first of all, I don't want to take, yeah, I don't want to take anything away from Texas. They had a great team. I think, again, I think, look, we had, this is, it's an interesting one because I understand why they play the two matches at different times. Mm-hmm. If they're going to try to promote it. Having said that, you know, when you're having the intense matches that we had with Virginia and UNC, the day before and then having to play the later match, then not getting, you know, what, what did we get? 16, 17 hours of recovery time before we had to play. I think you could just see it there. You know, we won the doubles, which was obviously that probably hurt us more than helped us to be honest, because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we'd be losing it. Yeah. But, and again, you have to probably credit Texas for this, but at some point there, I mean, we were winning, I think five out of six for sets. <laughs> and I think we only ended up winning two of those. Um, and that really, they did a great job of changing the momentum. And I think we just, you know, we just ran out of games. Yeah. How, uh, this is a stupid question because the numbers say it as much, but how good was Petros that season? Yeah, I mean, he was, I mean, he was great. He was great his last two, I mean, geez, he was great all four years, yeah. you know, but he was, he was really good uh, the last two years there. And I mean, between him and Borna, you know, we felt like yeah. crazy. And again, you know, if you have to look both thing, both going to lose, we're probably going to lose and I can live with that. Yeah. Well, then my last question for you before I let you go, speaking of Somdev, since I, I baited you there to go there, Somdev and Trait or Shabazz and Courtney? Who's winning that doubles match? Or Shabazz and Inglot, excuse me. Ooh, that, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Um, I'm trying to think what we had going on there. I mean, I think 
we had we had Somdev and Tread at one, mm-hmm. and then we had Shabazz and Inglot at two. But Shabazz and Inglot did end up winning an NCA title in dubs where where Somdev and Tread did not. So uh, I don't know. Really, really tough. I mean, Tread Dom both incredible pro pro doubles careers. I mean, probably maxed out at around the same. I can't remember exactly where. You know, somewhere maybe twenty or something like that in the world. So I don't know. That's a, that's a battle, especially yeah. if you're playing a set of no ad. Flip a coin. Yeah, instead of no ad. Yeah, exactly. You're like, all right, this yeah. is going to take 25 minutes one way or the other. That's all I know. Uh, no, that's obviously, again, that's half the fun. And uh, I always appreciate you entertaining my story, uh, my history questions. With that in mind, though, of course, as we mentioned at the top, you guys headed to Lexington this weekend. And uh, obviously, you have aspirations to make it beyond there as well. My last question, what's it going to take for you guys to get where you want to go here in the postseason? Yeah, I mean, I think you get to this point in the round of 16, there's, what, 16 amazing teams left that are all fighting for the same thing. So it's, you're going to you're gonna have to play your best tennis. You're going to have to be tough. Um, you know, you're going to have to have some breaks go your way. Um, you know, and you're going to have to play your best tennis when it counts and be clutch when it counts. So, you know, I think you work all year for this. And if you're doing a good job as a coach, you have your guys ready to accomplish that. Yeah, no, well, again, I know, uh, obviously, you guys have been working hard down in Winston-Salem, and uh, again, always a pleasure uh, to get to watch the Demon Deacons compete, always a pleasure to get the chance to chat with you as well, Coach, so wishing you and the team success, health throughout the remainder of this 2022 season, and hopefully, I'll be able to see you in Thanks, buddy, I appreciate that, hopefully, we'll see you in Champaign. Yep, as always, it's a pleasure, Coach, take care. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with another head coach of a Sweet 16-bound college tennis team. A huge thank you both to this coach and every coach for taking the time to chat with us here at Cracked Rackets. Again, trying to set the scene for all of you listeners down the 2022 college tennis season's home stretch. I've been immensely flattered by the reception we have gotten from all of these coaches who are so willing to participate in this exercise. And again, try to set the scene. For all of you listeners, try to make sure you maximize your enjoyment through these final few weeks of the college tennis season. The plan here is to interview all 32 remaining head coaches. Now, it's only a success if we hit all 32. So I promise you, listeners, that will be our goal, as that is what we were able to accomplish last season. Again, you can find all of those podcasts here on this feed. You can find them on our website, crackrackets.com. A shout out, as always, to super producer Daniel Westoff on the ones and twos. He has a f- of an editing job to do this week, makes all of this content possible. So shout out to him. Shout out to our friends at Swing Vision as well. Again, learn more about the Swing Vision app by clicking on the link in the description to this show. With all of that said, for our fantastic guest, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Swing Vision, from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You've been listening to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk to you all soon. Thanks, everyone.